The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. You're listening to the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show. Listener discretion is advised at all times. Hello and thank you once again for downloading and listening to another episode of the Ricket and Clive Wrestling Show, part of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. My name's Clive and with Ricky on holiday in Turkey at the moment, I'm joined by former guest Kyle Moores from the Social Suplex's Facebook group, Wrestling Square Circle. How are you doing, Kyle? Good to have you back on. Thanks so much for having me. Shout out to Ricky on vacation. I'm glad to be able to surrogate for him again today. Yeah. He is putting up pictures on Facebook of his attire over the last couple of days. Um, yeah, right. And no socks left. Uh, no socks and jorts. <laughs> He's channeling his John Cena, I think. Oh, I, that's that's like terrible Southern fashions. <laughs> so before we get into what we were going to talk about for the program, the, there was news earlier on today that Leon White, also known as Van Vader passed away. Lots of health complications over the last few years. He even said himself that he was on borrowed time. But today he eventually passed on. Hopefully he rests in peace. And it's one of those ones, Kyle, where maybe an underappreciated horse from the wrestling business. I would definitely agree with that because a lot of the height of his career was with New Japan and Mm -hmm. WCW before really the NWO took WCW off. Um, He wasn't in WWE till the end of his career. And so I think it's really easy for a lot of people to just kind of overlook some of his accomplishments. And it's really kind of a shame because he really is one of a handful of just really elite, iconic big men wrestlers. Uh Definitely. And more so, I feel bad for him because one of the things that he had really hoped when he was saying that he was on borrowed time, one of the things that he had noted that he wanted to live long enough to see is the day that he made it to the WWE Hall of Fame. And I'm really bummed for him that he didn't get to live to see that because I do think he'll definitely get there. And it's just really unfortunate that he won't be able to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. The credibility of the Hall of Fame has come into question quite a lot over the last few years but there are still some wrestlers who've been in the game for so long and contributed so much that if they want to be in then surely those doors should be opened and channels opened for discussions about it and when you've got the likes of who was that guy that came in this year? Jeff Jarrett (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, Jeff Jarrett but it was at Hillbilly Jim Yes Yes, Hillbilly Jim and his really, really long, out there acceptance speech. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the amount of, obviously his time in WWF, Vader, but WWE owned the WCW library on the networks and they've got a lot of classic stuff with Sting there uh, in the archives. 
So I do understand where you're coming from. That it would have been nice to maybe they'll do a posthumous one next year, perhaps. When I've, I've not seen a lot of his matches, I will admit, but I do have memories of him working with Michaels. And the most vivid one was Canadian Stampede, 1997. It was a stacked card with the likes of Cactus Jack, Triple H, the the Hart family versus Austin, Shamrock and stuff. But Undertaker and Vader had a really good match that night. Um, I wouldn't even say it was lost in the shuffle. I think it just added to what was a, a really good pay-per-view, thanks to someone like Vader really testing Undertaker who was one of maybe not his ultimate prime but a peak of popularity at the time definitely well and that's really one of the testaments to Vader himself as a performer one of the things about Vader was and this is true of any legend but one of the things about him is he was successful everywhere he went he started Mm -hmm. with AWA he went to New Japan He went to WCW, he went to WWF, and everywhere that he went, he added something to the product. He was exciting to watch. Those of you that are big New Japan fans, if you've got New Japan World, um, I highly encourage you to look up. I'm not sure if it's in their archives yet or not. Look up some of Vader's New Japan stuff because he he famously came in and was one of only two or three people to beat Antonio Inoki. Um, shortly after his debut. Uh-huh. He came into controversy recently when he'd called out Will Ospreay and Ricochet's match, saying it wasn't what it was supposed to be. And I wonder if... Do you think that was his last hurrah? Or did they just genuinely feel that way about it? I think maybe a combination of both. Mm-hmm. I think maybe a combination of both. I think for a lot of the older generation... Um, they do probably feel somewhat like the um, product nowadays has become very spot heavy. But at the same time, I think they also recognize that that's just the evolution of the business. And so I think with Vader and Osprey, I think it was a little bit of both. A little bit of, yeah, you're kind of spot heavy, but at the same time, we could do something. And it would put some eyes on the product and we could have a good program. Well, I'm sure Osprey will be proud to be to say that he's one of the ones who had like the last match with Vader. Something to add Absolutely. to his story. Absolutely. So, if you haven't seen many of his matches like myself, then get on to the network for just nine ninety nine per month. Believe it or not. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yes. Shameless plug. <laughs> and I don't even get paid from them. Shocking. So. It's been a very, very busy couple of days, few days in the world of WWE. We've had the NXT UK division tapings. I don't want to talk about that too much because I'm trying to avoid the spoilers. Um, we'll touch on the announcement that they had earlier. But in the last few days, we've had Raw and SmackDown. Quite a few interesting things happened on SmackDown, but it was a takeover and Money in the Bank weekend. What would you say about TakeOver overall, Kyle? Did you think it was... I wouldn't say it was as good as the likes of Philadelphia and New Orleans, but it was a consistent show. Yeah, I would say just overall this week in general, this has been one of the more solid weeks WWE's had in a while Mm -hmm. anyway, as far as these like big stacked weekends. Um, 
And I'm with you. I think this takeover, you know, it's not quite Dallas or any of those kinds of elite takeover shows, but it was a solid addition to the takeover catalog. It followed the formula. Um, the two big non-title singles matches, I think, delivered big time. Um, Velveteen Dream, I, I can't say enough about uh-huh. the Velveteen Dream and the star that Dream is going to become. Um but I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed TakeOver from top to bottom. That tag team match snuck up on me See, at the start. I, I thought it would be good. I didn't think I would enjoy it as much as I did. Because of the six-man tag that they were involved in a few weeks ago on NXT, I had a sneaky suspicion that this would be a sleeper hit. And it seems to be the general consensus that it was maybe the match of the night, if not the weekend. And it was a really good, fast-paced match forearm clubs and knees and backbreakers all over the place and I really liked the I don't know if it was intentional or not but the callback to the DIY revival match where both members of Undisputed Era looked as if they were about to tap out and Kyle O'Reilly just sort of rolled back and kicked, can't remember if it was Lorcan or It was Lorcan because Birch had O'Reilly in the right. submission and he kicked, kicked the other person out, I just thought that was a great, great move if, if I had, if I was, if I was there, I would have been shouting for joy for that one. I was quite surprised actually that they were getting booed at the start. I know it's Chicago I, and they have their own sort of smarky mentality, but surely Lorcan and Birch, what they've been doing on TV, should be enough to get them over, even against undisputed era. See, I don't, I didn't take that as much against Orkin and or Birch as much as it was. The Chicago crowd, especially because Adam Cole is part of Undisputed Era and Adam Cole is, like, incredibly over with the smart crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot more of it was they loved Undisputed Era than it was a dislike of Orkin and Birch. Yeah. But even more so, testament to how good the match was and the story they told, by the end of the match, the crowd was fully back on board with Orkin and Birch and getting sucked into that moment. And I think that that's a testament to how well all four men did in selling the story that they were telling. Yeah, it was top-notch. Lorkin especially, um, when it just sort of rose from the dead and was screaming in their faces, that was excellent stuff. I can see why he wouldn't, like, do so well on the main roster, but for the sort of smart oriented NXT I think he's going to be doing well for himself and we don't know he's Ty Dillinger that's that's what I think Uh, when I see Oni Lurkin he's like a Ty Dillinger and I say that not in terms of like the character itself but just in the way that that the character is used and presented he's meant to be a name that you know and that you recognize and someone that the NXT crowd is going to rally behind because of how long he's been a part of the brand and how hard he works and how good he is mm-hmm. uh, with a variety of opponents, but he's not a star. <clears throat> not yet, anyway. Maybe not a superstar yeah, like. Some good, but he's, that's what I mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's like a, a good, solid mid card guy. And one thing I think that we in the IWC especially um, forget a lot of times is there's nothing wrong with being a great mid card guy. Not at all. Every brand needs a solid mid-card. The mid-card is the crux of making an entertaining show. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so there's nothing wrong with being a great mid-card hand. It's needed because I mean, you've got a three-hour show like Monday Night Raw. You've got the opening segments with the promos from the main event guys, and then they close the show. You need something in between. And and it's kind of gone neglected over the last couple of years with the focus on, um, you know, rightfully so, the focus on the women's division. And last year we had a lot more focus with tag teams. So the singles aspect of the mid-card has really kind of been deprioritized lately. Uh-huh. And I think that that is some of the problem that a lot of people have had with WWE's creative. Possibly. That also doesn't help the mid-card of Raw, for instance, when we don't really have officially have a main event scene because we've got all these guys clambering over trying to get a shot at Brock Lesnar, who isn't even there. And one person... I know it's good to have swap of swapping of characters to be in the main event scene, but there's just no hierarchy at the moment, and that's probably what you're saying about there not being a sort of set mid card. It's because there's not a set main event scene either. Well, and as a result, on Monday Night Raw, what you get is you get guys like Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens um, stuck in this like intercontinental title picture that both of them are really honestly above mm-hmm. at this point. Um, two former world champions. They were both at various times in the last couple of years, the focal point of Monday nights and without a main event title in there, they've got really nothing to do. You know, same thing with guys like gender and Roman. I know that the crowds don't love gender and Roman the way that they love, you know, Seth and KO, but you're still talking two former WWE champions that have nothing to do because there's no universal champion on raw. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. I'd put. I think I would. Maybe on the Lords of Pain forums, I'd mentioned that it's twenty seventeen. Sorry, it's twenty eighteen. On Monday Night Raw, Brock Lesnar is the champion. You have an Extreme Rules pay per view coming up with a multi man number one contendership match coming. You also have Alexa Bliss as a champion again. Braun Strowman has some momentum again. Although around this time he may have been injured, I might need to fact check that, but he was injured around that time. Now, that's a calendar year difference, but the same things are happening. It feels like there's been no, maybe one or two things, but there's not much progression happening. Yeah, we're, we're kind of in this like, they, we've been kind of on Monday Night Raw especially in this weird holding pattern for what seems like a year and a half. And for the longest time, the fan base was willing to at least tolerate it because we thought it was going somewhere. All signs pointed to Roman dethrones Brock at WrestleMania, and then everything just kind of sorts itself out. We go back to having a full-time champion. Um, people have direction. We have places that we could go with it. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Now Raw's main event scene is still in this holding pattern because Brock Lesnar's holding it hostage. With the women... They tried with Nia Jax, and then almost as soon as she became champion, they turned her heel again, out of nowhere. Uh huh. A, a bully heel of all people. Yeah, when the preceding story was months of her overcoming bullying. I know, and, and being a star. Yes, be a star campaign speech after she wins the title, and that was it. <sighs> 
with with Alexa Bliss winning the money in the bank and then cashing in. I did predict there would be a cash in on the Raw women's match. Just didn't think it would be Alexa Bliss. And I'm not as down on her in-ring work. I know she can be a bit of a botch machine, but there are quite a few other women who are as well. Um, And they're all heels. Have you ever noticed that? All of WWE's women, their best wrestlers for the most part, are all on the face side. mm -hmm. On both brands. You look at Raw, technically Sasha and Bailey are still faces, kind of, sort of. I don't really know what their alignment is. Um, Mickey's been, well, Mickey's old, but she's been both face and heel, but more face than heel. Uh Um, Natalia's doing a face run right now. You go to SmackDown, Charlotte's a face, Becky's a face, Naomi's a face, uh, Asuka's a face. The only heel on either brand, really, that's a ring technician, I would say, is Ruby Riot. Yeah. Did you see, I know she's not a heel exactly at the moment, but did you see what Natalia did to Naomi at one point in the ladder match where she sort of did a split atomic drop? Oh, yes, yes, that was oh. a great spot. I, gr- I winced when I saw that. That looked really, I know Naomi's very flexible, cheerleader background and stuff but that must have hurt surely oh i like i grabbed my knee when that happened for those of you who don't know <laughs> I, I had um pretty major reconstructive knee surgery in march and i look at some of these bumps and some of the people like the people that don't wear knee pads scare me now right? every i um, love drew gulak as clive well knows um and mm-hmm. every time i watch drew gulak in the ring i think to myself Please buy some knee pads. Mm-hmm. Please buy some knee pads. Please, before you hurt yourself. Oh, he's too. He's too busy tying up his opponents and knots and handing out pamphlets, literature, as he called it. <laughs> I love that political gimmick. It's, it just works, especially in the modern United States. That just works. That's true. Maybe that's how. I know he had it in combat zone wrestling. A sort of similar thing to when Cactus Jack was doing the anti-hardcore stuff. Mm-hmm. in the 90s so he's transitioned that from CCW over to 205 and it's working well I didn't think it would have the legs that it has had but maybe it's worked because Drew Gulak's become more of a an aggressive violent man instead of a bit hokey I, I think losing Enzo was the best thing to happen to Drew um, oh yes because, I mean, there was a story to tell if Enzo had stayed, if they were smart enough to tell it, because the story was definitely Gabagulak turning face and beating the pants off the Zotrain. But um, I think that because Enzo was gone, that allowed him to go back to being a serious character who can be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And that gives that more legs than it would have had if he'd have just been this goofy cornball PowerPoint guy. And he's aligned with Brian Kendrick and Jack Gallagher in this I wouldn't even say it's a tag team scene anymore. There were rumblings of tag team championships coming in for the cruiserweights, but that that rumour's just died a death. It's just a sort of trios division, even though there isn't any trios belts. And if we're doing cruisers, they should have trios titles anyway, Mm -hmm. because if we're talking cruisers, lucha libre style, that kind of style, trios is more appropriate. I mean, as much as I think that 
Callisto is scrappy do. <laughs> the whole Lucha House Party thing works because it's a trios. They've got each other's backs. They can swap, as they have done for months now, swap competitors. It's given Metallic and Dorado a lot more TV time as well, where beforehand they weren't getting used as much. So the Lucha House Party thing I'm enjoying. Um, Akira Tozawa and Hideo Itami just sort of stopped out of nowhere. But they seem to have this, an, another six-man tag thing going on. There's going to be another one next week between the two teams in an elimination-style match. That should be quite I'm good. Okay with, I'm okay with Tozawa and Atami splitting in this sense just because WWE has, and all of wrestling, but WWE especially has this nasty habit of creating teams and groups like racially. So, <laughs> I, I did do actually. Three Latinos, let's just throw them into Lucha House Party. We've got the two Asian dudes, let's throw them together. Um, if they had another British person, sorry y'all, that's my dog. <laughs> so if they had another British person, I, I bet they'd have thrown them with Gallagher and created this like pseudo British empire. Like th- 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 there's just this weird tendency in the WWE to group people because they're from the same heritage and so like I'm okay with more variety that's fair enough they're so by they're so stereotyped with the, the British wrestling that they created a whole new division from it <laughs> which like I, I'm okay with that in the sense that I think it's great that y'all will have another um organization that should be regularly touring and give you more opportunities to see performers that I'm sure y'all get to see because I'm not even going to pretend that the British wrestling scene isn't its own scene um, but at the same time yeah like that's just it feels I don't know not unnecessary but just out of nowhere Do you think it's out of nowhere because there's been whisperings about it for a wee while now and Pete Dunne's been getting a lot more airtime. I just... You're right, there had been whisperings of it for a long time, but that's all they had ever really been, whispers. Mm-hmm. There had never really been tangible evidence other than you're seeing more of Dunne and now you'll uh, bait and Seven. But at the same time, I didn't think anything of that because those guys are stars, period. Uh-huh. Like especially Pete Dunn and Tyler Bate, they're both right there in that velveteen dream grouping of guys under twenty five that are just gonna kill it in a couple of years. Oh, definitely. They, I mean, I'm sure you can understand that this news that broke a couple of nights ago. I was very, very pleased to hear that it's going to be. I'm not sure if it will be weekly. There have been quite a few, a lot of taping scheduled leading up to Christmas. Um. A lot of the people I imagine will have been or will continue to be in ICW, which I watch weekly as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that crossover works and if there is ever a chance of some sort of NXT tapings in Glasgow or Edinburgh, uh, Ricky and myself will be on that straight away. So that's exciting to see, to have the potential of happening. You've mentioned Velveteen Dream there. I was... The match I was looking forward to the most for the whole weekend was definitely his match versus Ricochet. And I'm wondering, I did enjoy it and I watched it back and I thought it was an excellent story. 
where Dream was trying to emulate Ricochet or surpass, not emulate Ricochet, and he failed a few times. But I think I hyped it up for myself just a tad too much. I was left wanting a wee bit. Well, I think what I like about Velveteen Dream is he understands the subtle ways of incorporating your character into your matchwork. Um, and, and when I say subtle ways, I'm talking about little things like late in the match, the ref touched him, and he started screaming at the ref, "Don't you don't touch me, I'm the Velveteen Dream. Uh-huh. Um, little things like slaps Ricochet in the face and says things like, I'm homegrown, you belong in a bingo hall, hot dog and a handshake. Um, <laughs> and, and so in his matches where he doesn't necessarily pull out all the spots and all the stops and all of those things, I'm able to appreciate the little ways that he uses his character work because a lot of guys have kind of gotten away from that in recent years. You know, aside from like your Kevin Owens, you don't see as many guys incorporate their characters as much into their matches. Uh And I appreciate it. I mean, Dream came down to the ring um, for those of you that don't watch Lucha Underground, Dream came down to the ring in Prince Puma's attire. And that was Ricochet's character from Lucha Underground. Um, not replica, like actual Ricochet lent him this gear. Oh, right. Prince Puma's attire. Um, and so, like, he was doing that. He was using some of the Ricochet moves within the match because the storyline they were telling was anything you can do, the Dream can do better. Um, and what ultimately cost him the match at the end was trying to do just that. Yep. Oh, Dream can Dream can fly across the ring until he does it. There are two things that put me off the match. You're saying, as you said there, Dream was going in talking about anything you can do, you can do better. And I thought at the start when he was trying to chain wrestling, it wasn't a, it wasn't his character that couldn't do better. It was Patrick Clark who seemed to, seemed a bit clumsy and plodding at the start, and that took me out of it. Probably because I've put him in such a high pedestal to, to see him not be as smooth and fluid as Ricochet. I thought, mm. um, but it's also easy before you get to your other point. It's also easy to forget Patrick Clark's only twenty three years I know. old. It's becoming and a Ricochet's like. Now early 30s and long time veteran I know, I do need to remind myself that and it has been said often that he's only 23 but I mean if I think back to what I was doing at 23 he's doing well for himself <laughs> <laughs> totally uh, the other thing it, it took me a while probably on social media to realise that the pants were Prince Pumas I didn't what were your thoughts on the, the Hogan Hulk Hogan attire and was it an homage or was it a dig because of their history and tough enough I I enjoyed I enjoyed it from the sense that it's just more dream doing ridiculous shit and I'm all for Velveteen Dream doing ridiculous shit Um, I didn't like it from the sense that when I first saw it I thought to myself oh god no is this their way of saying they're going to bring Hulk back soon because uh-huh. I am not a part of that group of people that wants Hulk Hogan anywhere near WWE ring mm-hmm. anytime soon. Yep, he can yeah. far away. 
I just thought bringing him back into the the forefront of people's minds, I just wasn't a fan of it at all, especially with what he's been in the news for recently. And I just well, thought with Patrick Clark, a black man, parading around with the, the vest that can tear apart, I thought, oh, I just felt as if it was a bit lacking in taste. But if it was... Well, the one thing I did really like about it is I loved the bandana that said Dream Still Over. Uh huh. I-, I loved that, but other than that, I could I could leave it. Yeah. You see, one of the things that I did enjoy you were saying his character work has. You know how he has this thing where he slides into the ring like yes. some sort of sexual predator and glares at the opponent. Well, even that has evolved over the course of his time. Because at the start, it was this predatorial stare down, trying to intimidate. And when he would sort of slide into the ring with the likes of Alistair Black, even Ricochet a few weeks ago on NXT, there was this look of frustrated fear in his eyes. that He thinks to himself, what have I got myself into here? And on Saturday night there, he slid into the ring as Ricochet backflipped and their eyes met and it was just a frustrated look it wasn't the fear anymore so just simple things like that there's a really there's a lot of attention going into his character work and his wrestling's fine just now I love that corkscrew DDT thing that he's got going on that's really yeah, impactful that's really impressive mm-hmm. it looks like it's one of those second finishers like not, it's one that you'd have at the sort of last five minutes of a match, if that makes sense. Um, but one second we rewatch, I did enjoy what the, the story they were trying to tell. Um, so it gets past marks, just not what I wanted it to be, and it was off from a hot tag team match as well. So maybe that's why I wasn't as on board as I wanted to be. Like I did want it to be amazing, just fell short for me personally. I still well, think Velveteen Dreams he's got he's got to be a star. Surely Vince can't fuck this one up. Uh, I don't know. Let's not challenge Vince McMahon and <sighs> let's not throw that gauntlet down because like he's managed to fuck up some sure things before. Remember when we thought Bailey was a can't miss? Uh-huh. Uh if you can fuck up Bailey, you can fuck up the Velveteen Dream. Um but I think that some of the disappointment was more so because they did such a great job building up this, like, blockbuster feeling match that anything less than a five-star classic was going to be at least a little bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't the letdown match of the night. For me, the letdown match of the night, not because it was bad, but just because it was the match that did the least for me was the following match, uh, Nikki versus Nikki Cross versus Shayna Baszler for the women's title. Yeah, it went down a strange road, that one. Well, I, I think that Nikki, I, I don't know, I like Nikki Cross, but I don't know that I like her direction without the rest of Sanity. Nor yeah. do I know that I like Sanity's direction without her. I can see why they had to keep they wanted to keep her back on NXT because evidently she's still got some theatrics work to work on. Well, the women's division needs it. NXT's women's division is pretty notorious when they do the rounds of call-ups that somebody gets left behind. Uh-huh. 
to be like the the bridge from one women's division to the next. The first t- first big round of call ups, it was Bailey. The next big the next big round of people going up, Asuka stayed behind. Um, this time it's Nikki. You know, the Iconics got called up, Amber Moon got called up, Nikki was left. Uh-huh. And she's there to kind of bridge the gap between those generations of women while they're building up the future stars. Um, of which I think the biggest future star of the current crop of women is Bianca Belair. Oh, she's fantastic. She is great. I think she's going to be awesome. And her theme song is catchy as hell. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I, I see that deadlift thing that she does? That's the thing about, and that's part of why I think she's going to succeed, is she brings a power game that you don't see a lot with the women. She's not necessarily that much bigger than all the women, but she's so built and so muscular that she brings power moves. Like, her finisher right now is this is the alley-oop power box. Like, uh-huh. when's the last time you saw a woman do that move, period? Exactly, I know. I think Lacey Evans is going to do well yes. with that, like, conservative, holier-than-thou female character that we haven't really seen a lot. I quite um, like her actually. I do. I've enjoyed her. She's been getting a lot of time on TV recently with Kyrie Sane. Uh, she's good. I'm enjoying her. So I don't know. I think Lacey Evans is going to do a really, really well, or do really, really well. Um, she's going to do a good job as a character that we don't see a lot. Mm-hmm. You have, you don't really see a lot, even from the female heels of this like old school conservative woman. Um, Kind of like this Hulk Hogan-y apple pie character. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, that's different. And I think that different is a good thing with um, some of the women's characters. Yeah. With regards to different characters, it's not often that we get the sort of big tank horses in NXT that we'd have with Lars Sullivan at the moment. And it went a bit cool on him. I enjoyed his first push, as it were, and then it just disappeared from TV for quite some time. But he's back, and I hold my hands up. I quite enjoyed that match with Alistair Black. I, I liked it for what it was. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that Lars Sullivan, it, it kind of screamed challenger of the month uh-huh. for me. Yeah. Um, because he doesn't strike me as someone that's going to be your top champion. He strikes me as we've been talking a lot about mid carders. He strikes me as one of those like solid upper mid card Haas characters. Um, he's not as tall as you'd think. He's only like six three or six four, but he's very bulky. He's very wide. Yes, apparently I, w- I had heard recently. Um, I forget which pod I was listening to. I had heard recently that apparently what his deal is is he had gigantism and they found it early enough for him to have the operation to correct it and that's why his body seems kind of out of proportion mm-hmm. um, but he is he's very wide and he's a type of big man that you don't see a lot as far as like he's a very articulate big man yes. that like smart monster you don't see a lot of the smart monster See, I think that combination is something that Vince would really like. And I just had a thought there that I wonder if 
Vince wanted to see how he would do in front of many thousands of fans and think, right, you did well there. And maybe he might be called up soon because he's a big, he's not tall, but he's a big bear of a guy. He can talk well. Maybe that's... And what's there for him to do down there? I know. what Exactly. It's so stacked at the moment. He's had his turn. It didn't work out. So what else is he going to do? Oh, and I mean, you know, he could totally, to segue a little bit, he could totally fill a role left by the departure of a big cast. You know, SmackDown needs a big guy who can talk. And both times that they've given Lars Sullivan opportunities to show more, the first time was in the ladder match for the North American Championship. Mm -hmm. The second time was here tonight. Um, Both times they've given him that opportunity, he proved that he can be an acceptable big man. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I grade big man matches on a curve because I know of their physical limitations, and Lars looks just fine. I try and take the, that into account, but then you have people like <clears throat> Strowman in the Big Show kind of raising the bar a wee bit. Yeah, but Strowman, Strowman to one extent, and then to a greater extent the Big Show, especially when he was young and he was still in WCW as the Giant, they are really, like, exceptionally athletic big men. Yeah. Strowman's like, alone to himself to, at the moment. Like, Big Show used to leap over the top rope in his day. Like, not just leg over leg. He used to, cruiserweight style, leap over the top rope. Yeah. Strowman is a lot unto himself just now, I think. And there's just no sign of him letting up in terms of Improve even small things like adding in drop kicks and being tested perhaps against a more agile and quicker paced wrestler in Finn Balor in the last few weeks. I think what will happen with Strowman over the next few weeks is he'll continue a feud with Kevin Owens. But back to your point about big casts, the I feel cheated because. He came back, roundabouts of Superstar shake-up. Everyone groaned that he was put in a programme with Daniel Bryan. He was near enough squashed in the first match, apart from um, Big Cass doing the pointing at the sky and just trash-talking Bryan for his height. The same continued, and we had a okay match on Sunday night at Money in the Bank. wasn't the best match I've seen, but it wasn't the worst he got the offence in that he was able to use um, I had to laugh because I had seen a tweet that said Big Cass had said that Drew Gulak had been teaching them stuff in preparation for the match against Daniel Bryan and all he did was a torture rack twice you know Big Cass is a guy I, I feel bad for Big Cass in the sense that he's a guy who anytime it looked like he was going to build momentum he got hurt going back to nxt that's right uh, part of the reason that they put him with enzo in the first place is because he kept getting hurt they were going to do single stuff with him and he would he would hurt his knee he would hurt his shoulder he would hurt his arm um he had a lot of injury issues and so then they put him in the tag team with cat or with enzo that ends up taking off um then he got hurt again um then Enzo got hurt. And then Enzo was an asshole. Uh, <laughs> and they broke them up because Enzo was going to do his thing, and then Cass got hurt again. 
He comes back from injury, and they played that injury stuff up, and then he showed his ass and yeah. got shown the door. It's just, when I say I feel cheated, I was kind of coming round to the idea. Maybe it's just because Daniel Bryan kept beating him, even every week almost on TV. And they, I thought, I can stomach him now. He's not as annoying. Maybe the hate joke stuff's annoying. But if they knew in advance that if reported he caused trouble on a European tour where he broke a toilet door on the tour bus so that no one could use it anymore and he was drunk and he is very outspoken and politically opinionated backstage, if they knew all this, then why... I suppose they could have booked it already, but why put him in this programme with Daniel Bryan for a couple of months? Well, and that's the real that's the real kicker there is you knew what you were doing. You knew what your plan was for him, and you had to know, you know, maybe not this drunken stuff, but you had to know what his character was beforehand. So if there was ever a concern that he was going to pull something like this, why bother to give him that kind of a push in the first place? Exactly. Why do it? You know, when I think of Big Cass, I will forever think two words. Discount test. Because <laughs> Big Cass was a poor man's version of test. Do you remember how over test was uh, when he was marrying? Test was over. I know. When he was Shane's bodyguard, and then he had that big match with Shane when um, Stephanie, or no, he had the big match with Triple H when Triple H had tricked Stephanie into marrying him to defend Shane's honor. Then he had the big match with Shane. Like, Test was over. I know. Test was, you know, he was a three-star match, uh, probably at your cap, but he was another one of those good mid-card heels. You always need a good mid-card heel. Mm -hmm. And they still stayed relevant in the mid-card scene for a while with TNA. Maybe that was just because of Trish Stratus, but it was the Un-Americans as well. Well, and near the end, he had come back, and he was going to be part of the WWE ECW. Oh, that's I mean, right. I know that that was a colossal failure in so many ways, but they were going to push him with that. You know, Unfortunately, in the case of Test, and I hope, hope, hope that this never becomes the case with Cass, unfortunately, Test was one of many wrestlers to succumb to drug addiction. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, that ended up costing him his life. When was that? Was that 2010? No, gosh, I think it was longer than that. I want to say that was like 2008. Was it? Let me look it up. Yes. I mean, the, the, the obvious similarities with their height and the big boot as the finish and stuff like that. But Oh, the height, long hair, the way they were packaged. Uh-huh. Test was way more over. Way more over. But then again, Test also came up in the right era. In that era, everybody was over. 2009. Nine, right. See, with Big Cass, I wasn't... I'm always stunned or surprised when I see a wrestler being released or they ask to be released. But I, was, I can't say I'm disappointed. I try my best not to feel too sorry for wrestlers because... They make a lot more money than me. 
At that level, they do. Uh-huh. At that level, they definitely do. And he's had the time in the spotlight. He's, I'm sure he'll find something else. Maybe he can join Trump's team for 2020. Well, I mean, he's got that WWE to hang on his resume, you know. And unlike Enzo, he wasn't dismissed for, like, criminal character concerns. Mm-hmm. And wasn't considered, at least at, up until that point, he wasn't considered a total cancer to the locker uh-huh. But not total cancer to the locker room. So Cass strikes me as someone more so than Enzo who'd be able to get indie bookings. Probably. Maybe he can improve there. Maybe he can get more lessons from the Drew Gulaks of the world. Absolutely. You know, and WWE has proven in, in the past that if you get released and you get your shit together, they will bring you back. Exactly. Um, speaking of criminal behaviour... Is Tommaso Ciampa the biggest bastard around right now? <laughs> oh my god. Like, oh my gosh. Best heel in wrestling. I'm Cody not... is a close second. Cody is a close second. Uh-huh. But Ciampa is the best heel in wrestling. Cody is a, a slimy heel, sleazy. But Tommaso Ciampa is absolutely despicable. He's evil. Throwing a man's wedding ring, carving up the ring, giving a guy Emerald Fusion on on a set of stairs, like, just evil. It's not even the... He spat on the ring, but it was a big gob. Lots of frothy saliva made its way onto that union band. (laughs) On his friend's wedding ring. And then threw it into the crowd. It was. I don't know if maybe it's because I'm married, but that that's the worst thing I've seen him do by a long I'm stretch. Not just because you're married. I'm not married, and I saw that, and I was like, "Damn!" <laughs> the only thing that would make that worse is if Candice LeRae was making out with him afterwards, and she spat on it as well. Yeah, that is literally the only way that you make that scenario uh-huh. even worse. I think I think maybe because the hatred seemed more real or better acted this time than New Orleans for me. I get that the New Orleans one was a good match, very good, but this one was just more angry. And there might not have been much structure to it, but and there might it might have even been overkill towards the end where Champa was on the receiving end of super kicks while handcuffed, uh, beaten to the point of death or whatever you want to say but they turned that around with the DDT onto the exposed ring and I I just didn't see it coming because I was under the impression that the match had finished and it hadn't because it took me, I had to watch the replay to see that the referee had been knocked out with all the commotion up the ramp earlier so it was just, it caught me off guard and it feels like maybe we're back to square one in terms of storytelling but that was a very good win for Champa and their ongoing rivalry. Well, and I think Champa needed a win. It didn't necessarily need to be over Johnny, but he needed a win um, in in this big setting. You know, he wins on NXT all the time, but he needed a big pay per view singles win. Uh huh. Um, but I, I I'm with you. I think my one knock on this match 
Um, and I'll be upfront. I think their first match was better right, in okay. terms of just being an actual match. Yes. This was a better fight, but I'm with you. I think it kind of brings back to square one on the story. Like they had done such a great job going into New Orleans to make it seem like this was the climax and the culmination of the story that they'd been telling. And now I kind of feel like, okay, well, they both won really hard fought little matches. So um, what kind of cage are you going to lock them in to finish this? Well, I was wondering if maybe I don't see it happening. The, the violence has escalated. They have the fourth. And is it last Brooklyn takeover? Is this the last time SummerSlam will be in Brooklyn? Anytime soon, because next year's SummerSlam is not in Brooklyn. Right, so maybe they're wanting to say farewell to Brooklyn because that first Brooklyn kind of, that changed the game for them, I would say. So maybe they're wanting to say thank you and goodbye. Here is a brutal, maybe a hell in a cell. Joshua from Keeping It Strong Style had mentioned they just have a cage with the roof on it. Something a bit different, keep it within the confines of NXT. Just like War Games, I know War Games has only just come back, but maybe not just go down the Hell in a Cell road. Do you know what I mean? But I was thinking maybe, what if they just had a straight up wrestling match? Gosh, a straight up wrestling match. <laughs> who, who ends feuds with regular matches anymore? What kind of craziness is that? Uh, I know. I don't know why I thought it. Maybe William Regal's had enough and thinks, right, you two are just going to have a an ultimate submission match or something. <laughs> oh, gosh. I haven't seen an ultimate submission match since Angle and Voldemort back I, in the day. Did you just call him Voldemort? He who must not be named, man. <laughs> Everybody knows who I'm talking about. He who must not be named. Yes. Um, I remember that match a wee while, a few years ago. I watched 2001's just TV and pay-per-views roundabouts the invasion angle I quite enjoyed the invasion stuff and I remember them having their matches it was good times I could watch him face Kurt Angle anytime Uh they always delivered him, Kurt Angle and Jericho the three of them always delivered no matter what combination you put them in Uh Jericho and Benoit had a really good chemistry which started back in WCW yeah their rivalry over the Intercontinental title and then they became tag champions as this like reluctant alliance like just Uh great chemistry and uh, some of that goes back to you know and you see it with Gargano and Ciampa as well it helps when they're friends in real life yes you know because Jericho's on record not not too long ago he had had um, one of his podcasts where he talked about Benoit and he just he was upfront about it he's like look, I don't condone what he did. I don't condone anything about it, but I'm also not going to sit here and pretend that for years he wasn't one of my best friends. Uh-huh. He, he talks about them regularly on these podcasts. The, I think Benoit and Jericho's feud in 2000 was the foundations. That was one of the very successful years creatively that WWF had. And obviously the Rock Triple H storyline was really good Edge, Christian, Hardys and the Dudleys were making waves with their violent ladder matches but the stuff that was going on with Jericho and Benoit from the spring, summer through to the Royal Rumble next year they had some really good matches and it was a very intense rivalry it did come across 
this was at an age for me where I knew it was all scripted and stuff, but the doubt crept back in because there was just such an animosity between the two of them. Well, and for me, it was an age where I'm like yourself. By then, I knew it was scripted. But for me, watching the two of them and then when Angle would get involved, watching the three of them, there's something to be said about watching three people that are just excellent at what they do put on a show and a show that you can tell they're enjoying putting on. Uh And you could feel the intensity. You could feel the impact because part of being as good as they were is they all understood selling and psychology in a way that a lot of the modern generation doesn't. Yeah, I think that's what's wrong with some of the stuff on the main roster at the moment. The overall one in the bank. I mean, how many matches would you say were on that card that you thought, yeah, you're talking about Jericho and Benoit just having really good chemistry together, they know the psychology. We're not getting that on the main roster at the moment, hardly ever. No, we're not. And and it doesn't really matter where you look at it on the card. Um, it, it's not there. You know, AJ and Shinsuke are very familiar with each other. And I wouldn't say, I know a lot of people really, really liked the last man standing match. But I, I have yet to see anything on par with their previous work. Um, uh, I'm just not seeing it. It's because they've got the they've got the reins on them, not Roman reins. Actual reins saying no, you, you need to do it this way. <laughs> Sorry, poor, I had to... Roman. No, poor Roman. I, I'll say this: this this can be the part of the show where we where we talk about it. Okay. I feel bad for Roman in a lot of ways because what's happened to Roman isn't Roman's fault. Not at all. It's not Roman's fault that the company books him poorly. It's not Roman's fault that Brock Lesnar's never around. It's not even really Roman's fault that the Chicago crowd didn't care about that match. No. That's not on Roman. That's the company's fault. And I know a lot of people who were upset at what happened when Roman and Jinder faced off. But my response to those people is just, did you really expect something different? Not in the match itself, because the match itself was fine, but if you didn't think that the crowd was going to shit on that from the word go, you have never watched a Chicago crowd. I mean, we had said this before we started recording, but for me watching at home... I'd just seen Alexa win the Money in the Bank match and I was really annoyed with this. So to have followed that up with Roman and Jinder, I paid little attention to it. So when all this stuff came back about the really bad personal chance and this match sucks, CM Punk, Velveteen Dream and stuff, I hadn't really noticed until it became all over social media. And I I 100% respect and agree that there's those um, chants were very disrespectful to the wrestlers in the ring but they should not have put that match on and the question is what would you do then with Roman Reigns now I don't have an answer to that question what they should have done on April the 9th what they should have done at uh, Saudi Arabia 
they should have put Roman, should have given him the title then. I don't care if, oh, the match isn't going the way Vince wants, let's change the script midway through the match. They should have just pulled the trigger, have him deal with it, and have him in main event matches every month with the likes of, instead of Jinder Mahal, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, even even Bobby Lashley. Oh, I think this Lashley feud could honestly be good for Roman. Um, especially if Lashley finally brings the good heel character that he had in TNA um, that he's completely left behind. Apparently when Bobby Lashley's in WWE, he just only knows how to be mediocre as fuck. Um <laughs> But I think that that could be a good feud, especially like with Lashley using the spear, Roman yes. using the spear. Like it could be fun to watch. And I, I'm totally also with you. I don't ever condone the fans hijacking the show because that's exactly what they did for that match. They hijacked the show, playing with beach balls, chanting for literally anything but what was happening. And they started as soon as the bell rang. Like that crowd never had any intention of giving that match a chance. Yep. But WWE should have also known better. <laughs> yeah. And now have created a situation up until WrestleMania, I fully thought that they could still fix the Roman problem that they've created because the problem isn't Roman himself. But now they've almost booked it in such a way where all that they've done is create apathy i don't care about roman reigns in any way shape or form like i don't dislike him but i don't care uh-huh. and that's the worst reaction in wrestling is not caring when that match came on i went and made a sandwich and then <laughs> went to the bathroom the pest and then stayed with my phone until i heard the bell ring again yeah i was the same i think it was over here i watched as much as I can in the morning before work so I used that time to get my lunch ready put some dishes away and I just heard like I was I really didn't care and that should be the case it shouldn't be the case so both both WWE are to blame as well as the fans it reminded me of the London NXT takeover where the crowd very personally shat on Baron Corbin and that was a different kind of smart crowd. It was just a fuck you, Corbin. And maybe because it had the English chants, being from the UK myself, when I hear chants like that, it has a vitriol that you see in very heated football matches or soccer matches. So I kin it to that. And it's just at the point, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do with Roman anymore. But as you say... Maybe they should have. This was maybe what they should have done with Roman in the first place, with Lashley in the first place. Sorry, instead of give Sami Zayn the worst case of vertical known to man. I refuse to talk about that match or that feud. That's I refuse fine. to talk about Bobby Lashley versus Sami Zayn because I like Sami Zayn and I don't hate Bobby Lashley, but no, everything that they did with that feud was wrong. Just wrong. Everything. Well, let's move on. I'm very happy to just move aside from that one. There was, this is the second time with regards to Ronda Rousey where I hold my hands up. I've 
partially ranted before that I'm just not buying into Ronda Rousey and WWE and for the second time she put on a performance that I thoroughly enjoyed a good match it was actually also the best Nia Jax match I've seen so there's lots of big bumps Ronda looked shaken when, I don't know if she did a bit when she fell out of the bottom rope was that do you think that was staged or do you think she actually fell out because I was I was sold on it you know I'm not sure with her because she's so new and she hasn't wrestled a lot I'm never sure whether she had planned on some of those things that look you know like they could have been accidental um, but I think with Ronda I'm with you she's impressed me every time in the ring but she strikes me as someone who I would buy more if they'd give her a mouthpiece I know that women don't ne- don't generally get managers for whatever reason. I mean, nobody does anymore because Vince hates managers for some reason. But if anybody would benefit from a mouthpiece, it's someone like her who's still really new to the business and could use that kind of mentor to teach them how to cut a promo. Well, would you? Who would you suggest? And I'll put you on the spot and think of someone other than Paul Heyman. Oh, I would not have said Paul Heyman. I'm not sure who necessarily I would suggest because, again, since WWE doesn't generally do managers anymore, you don't even see a lot of managers on the indies anymore. Uh, Um, The best manager characters of the last couple years across promotions have generally been spouses. Brandy Rhodes is an excellent valet character for Cody. Maurice does a great job being a valet type character for Miz, but they're not really managers, they're valets. Uh I think Rhonda needs, you know, an old school Paul Heyman, not Paul Heyman because he's overused, but like the person who I always bring up, he doesn't actively. Um, do it anymore but the person I always bring up is Truth Martini from Ring of Honor right and he was that same kind of like old schooly. he used to carry around this giant book and he had put a book cover on it called it the book of truth uh-huh. it was his thing he would just beat people up with the book when the ref wasn't looking um, you look at Jay Lethal's super long Ring of Honor title run that was while he was part of Truth Martini's House of Truth stable right and I think Rhonda needs something like that, not forever, but just long enough for her to learn the ins and outs of doing a wrestling promo uh-huh. and emoting on screen and those kinds of things. Because the ring work has been impressive. Yeah, I, I am most impressed when she is in the ring and either if it's a segment, a physical segment or where she destroyed Alexa Bliss this Monday or if she's having a normal match. She's still got work to do on the mic and when it's on commentary. I can accept that if I get... My problem now is I want to see more of it. She's had two matches since she showed up at the Royal Rumble. And I'm not sure... Maybe it's either they want to keep her from being exposed too much or they don't want her to run through all these wrestlers who you would assume are less than her physically... like athletic, athletically less than her? I think it's both of those things. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that they are trying to keep her fresh and keep her feuds fresh. 
but I think they're also trying to minimize her weaknesses and maximize her strengths. But they need to come up with it, – it's a fine balancing act that they're walking. They don't want her to be like Brock where she's just never really around mm-hmm. or she's only around every now and then. But at the same time, I don't think that she's a character that needs to be on TV every week. Okay. Um, I will say that, you know, I wasn't necessarily thrilled about Alexa winning money in the bank and becoming a five time women's champion. Oh, um, not because shocking. the title inflation is astounding. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm more interested in Alexa versus Ronda than I was in the thought of Natalia versus Ronda. See, I had actually said to Ricky last week, if they have Ronda involved in scenarios where she's so strong, but she gets beaten by people cheating against her or interference, and so despite her being so superior to everyone, she's not she's not able to deal with all the sort of cowardly heel shit, shit heel work that goes on in WWE. If they do that for a few months, where she gets so frustrated that she just explodes at one point, I would be I would be behind that sort of storyline. So maybe someone like Alexa who gets under your skin could work for her. I think so. Like I, I think that Alexa, and especially because you know we were just talking about character work. Alexa's character work is pretty flawless most of the time. Uh, you know we can say what we want about you know the three star savior esque uh, match quality, but Homegirl is a great character worker, and. The what she did at Money in the Bank with the briefcase, that's a great way to use a character like Ronda Rousey. Mm-hmm. You know that Ronda would destroy Alexa Bliss uh-huh. in a step fight. So have Alexa just bum rush her, jump zone with the briefcase. See, that's similar. I, I get the not hatred, that's too strong a word. The frustration that people have with Carmela as the champion on SmackDown. But we're supposed to be told, we're being told that she's not as good as Asuka and she has to rely on cheap finishes or the return of James Ellsworth. I think like what that. women worry, or women, I think what fans worry about with the women and the reason why it's so loud and pronounced is I think that the fans worry that we're going to fall back into the Divas division. And I think that they worry that wrestlers like Alexa and Carmella remind them of that Divas Division era. They can talk and they're fun to look at, but they're not necessarily able to go. And for a lot of people, they saw, you know, Charlotte and Sasha and Becky and that generation as the end of that. Um And so I think that that's why people get as up in arms as they do about those girls. But I think that those women serve a good purpose because of exactly what you're talking about, especially with Carmella. The storyline of Carmella is that she's not that great and she acts like she is Uh and she cheats to win and she uses Ellsworth, who is the best heat magnet. Oh, that wink. That should well, that should be a gif. Well, he, he's got that. He's got the charisma itself. But the great thing with Ellsworth is because Ellsworth is physically small, 
they let him get his ass kicked by the women. Uh-huh. Allows him to continue to be the heater because he can be the heater that gets his. Yep. Ronda Rousey needs that kind of a character. Like, not necessarily a heel version, but Ronda Rousey needs something like an Ellsworth. Someone who can draw in that attention and use that mic skill and make her segments more. Not exciting is not the right word, but just more interesting. Uh huh. Um, because otherwise what's going to happen to her is eventually the badass stuff is going to not be as exciting anymore. Theory of diminishing returns. It's not as fun the fifth, sixth, seventh time you see it. I know. So we'll see what happens with that one. But there's before we move on to something else, a couple of things happened on TV this week that were of note, and that was that Seth Rollins lost his IC title to Dolph Ziggler. Out of nowhere. See, uh, I laughingly predict a TV title change every week almost, and I was off by a week, <laughs> and I didn't you know, think it would be this one. In the Attitude Era, that would have fit right in, because in the Attitude Era, it would have been easier to predict what week wouldn't have uh-huh. a title change I know. than one would have a title change. Um, now they never change the titles on TV. I'm not as shocked by that as much as I was shocked that of all people, Dolph. I think this is more to evolve a storyline with Drew McIntyre rather than Dolph Ziggler winning. Yeah, they keep pushing this like, you know, I called Big Cass discount test. Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre are bargain basement HBK Diesel. See, it's kind of going down that road, doesn't it? HBK Diesel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not... I enjoy what they're doing because... They're different from the tag team outfits that we see on Raw that's just comedy segments at the moment. Um, and although they're not technically in the tag team scene, but it's the rare occurrence, especially with the most recent call-ups, where an NXT wrestler has come up with a purpose in mind and what looks to be, I don't know if it was a snapshot decision or not, to change their mind, but there's a long-term story being told with Drew McIntyre at the moment. So he's not the best talker, He's a wee bit wooden, but they've got something going for him, and I can I can take that on board and accept it. It's just a shame that it. See, I thought always thought that Seth Rollins would lose this title in surprising fashion, so that's why I had predicted that maybe Elias would have a shot. I'm just off by a night. I I'd say you know I have two things on that. Um, first one, I am admittedly biased against the angle because I. I don't like Drew McIntyre. <laughs> Back to the chosen one. I've never liked Drew McIntyre. Right. Um, he, he's about as interesting as a cardboard box to me. Um, so I am biased against it from that angle. Um, the other thing, you know, not to try to knock Dolph Ziggler because Dolph can go in the ring and he's a former world champion. And like, I, I'm not trying to knock Dolph Ziggler. But when you think of The Miz and Rollins and what they did to, you know, raise the profile, the icy belt and all of that, Dolph Ziggler just feels like a step down. Uh-huh. And, and I know it's hard to say that without knocking Dolph, even though that's not my intention, but Dolph just feels like such a step down for, in quality. Uh-huh, for that title. He's had so much damaging booking over the last two or three years now. 
including the stuff with Miz. Dolph's damaging, butch- Dolph's damaging booking goes back Aye. almost a decade. <laughs> uh, pushed, then not, then pushed, then not. Just stop, start pushes all over the place. Yeah. I think they've got a good point. All the, all the way back to when he was Kevin White's golf caddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, ever yeah. since he left the Spirit Squad, he's been a stop-start push. Um, huh. And I don't really consider Drew an NXT guy. I know he was in NXT, <laughs> but Drew was a WWE guy who left and came back. Uh-huh. And he was only in NXT for a few months, really? Yeah. Then he got, well, and admittedly it was because he got hurt. Yeah. But still, I don't really consider him an NXT guy in the way that I would consider Finn an NXT guy uh, or KO or something like that. Like, To a certain extent, I wouldn't even consider someone like Seth Rollins or Dean to be an NXT guy because it was so long ago. Well, NXT wasn't NXT then. It was NXT, but uh, it wasn't what, the modern idea of... The, uh-huh. I consider that to be like Neville and KO and... Sammy and like that generation uh-huh. of NXT performers. The the other thing of note this week was I kind of groaned when I saw this happen. Are you up to date with SmackDown? Oh yeah, I'm up to date with SmackDown. So how loud did you rejoice when Rusev was became the number one contender for AJ Styles? You know, just to show the embarrassment of riches that SmackDown is Rusev won, and I was overjoyed, but I was also sad because it wasn't The Miz. Mm-hmm. Like, that five-man gauntlet, I thought to myself when they announced it, and I saw the competitors, I'm like, well, shit, I don't care who wins. <laughs> I, I don't care who wins. Any one of them can go face AJ for the title, and I am all about that life. Um, I think with Rusev, I just don't understand why they waited so long. Mm-hmm. Like Rusev and Aiden English should be where the Bludgeon Brothers are right now, as far as I'm concerned. They should have been the tag team champions months ago. Yep. And if not, Rusev should have been the United States champion instead of you know Jeff and Jinder and this whole like mod podge of people that have been holding that belt. Like, I, I just don't understand why they waited so long. The merch is hot. Crowds all over love chanting Rusev Day. Uh huh. UV. But at the same time, I don't give him a shot to win the title. Oh no, I don't think so. Especially with the reported reasons for him retaining the title versus Nakamura was that he's been announced as the front cover man for the 2K19 game. Yep. So when does that usually come out? Is it October time? Yeah, that normally comes out in October, but I don't necessarily think that means AJ is going to have the belt till October. I think that it more so just means that he was going to keep the belt probably until SummerSlam um, so that they could do all the promotionals about him being the cover person. Uh-huh. Uh, because, I mean, Seth Rollins was the cover person on this year's game, and he was not Universal Champion. That's true. Or close to it when that game was coming out. Um, I think more so, though, with AJ, you know, I was talking to um, our mutual friend and fellow Social Suplex um, podcaster, Grant Morris, um, about the AJ Shinsuke feud, and he brought up a good point. 
they had to have known they were going to make AJ the cover person for a long time. And they had to have known that they wanted him to have the title when they were going to make him the cover person. So why, instead of sabotaging Shinsuke's character, which is basically what they did by having him lose all of his opportunities for the belt, why would you not let him win the belt earlier in the program Mm -hmm. and then at Money in the Bank be AJ winning the belt back? That's a good point. And also, how often do we have a Royal Rumble winner lose at the WrestleMania? More often than they win, actually. Really? I would probably have to sit through and look at them all. But it's probably a good point. At least recently, the Royal Rumble winner has lost a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than, like, Randy Orton. But, I mean, the less said about Randy Orton, the better. (laughs) So, we'll see what happens with Rusev. I'm I'm still not on board. I've been a wee bit, maybe too outspoken on him recently. But he's been picking up wins against the likes of Samoa Joe, Daniel Bryan. So, they've obviously been thinking, right, okay, we'll do this. And when they did the. I fully support anything that leads to more instances of Aiden English. He's excellent. I'm on board with anything that will get me more episodes of television and pay per views with Aiden English coming out and singing, It's Rusev Day. I think you might have a better set of lungs than Aiden English, actually, by the sound of things. Oh, no, no, no. Aiden English is classically trained as a Broadway singer. Really? I cannot do that. That's fair enough. It's quite good seeing English um, where he is, because when he first came up, I thought, he's very scrawny. Even just the villains coming up in the first place, I thought, I'm not sure they're going to work, but he's part of one of the more overacts. When Simon Gotch got fired, I was, like, terrified. <laughs> I know. The end of Aiden English. He's doing well for himself, I have to say. So, I'm going to throw a curveball to the listeners. This probably hasn't been brought up before on the show. Maybe it has, but I decided to watch the... It was the first episode of Lucha Underground this week, is that right? Season four? Season four. Uh, so, I've seen highlight videos on YouTube, GIFs and stuff like that, but I haven't really looked into it properly before, so I thought I would sit down and watch it. I quite enjoyed what they were doing with this. It was an Aztec Warfare match, which is kind of like a Royal Rumble, except it's you win, you eliminate the opponent by pinfall. Um, I found it hard to buy that people were being, like fresh faces were being eliminated after one move and stuff like that. But it gave me a good introduction to a lot of the characters, which I did like. Well, in Lucha Underground, um, for those of you that don't watch Lucha Underground, Lucha Underground is a lot different than the pro wrestling that you're probably used to seeing on television. Not just because it's based on Lucha Libre, like that has some things to do with it, but because Lucha Underground, it's produced by a cable network, the El Rey Network. Um, It's produced by them, and it is not a pro wrestling TV show. It is a TV show about pro wrestling. Uh And so it is way more character-driven and segment-driven. Like, um, season four started off with um, 
the season three ended with the like boss character, a guy by the name of Dario Cueto is the character name. Um, he'd been shot at the end of season three. And so season four started with his father, which is just the exact same actor. <laughs> like obvious makeup, but it's awesome. Um, coming out to like cut this like funeral for his son and like go full on heel against his son. And um, so a lot of Lucha Underground is very much thematically driven yep. and character driven. Um, and so some of the stuff like you were talking about with, you know, people being beaten really quickly that were very, very fresh. A lot of that is probably going to be to set up the storylines for season four. Uh-huh. A lot of the interactions that you saw. Um, some of the things like with Mil Muertes and King Cuerno, they've been feuding on and off for since like season one of Lucha Underground. Um the show gets very much into like mysticism characters get actually killed off and new characters replace them as like resurrections and bringing people back from the dead and all kinds of craziness. Um, so it's, it's a lot out there, but it's a lot of fun. See, as out there, but just like the total deletion stuff, they completely embrace the fiction of it all. And that's what makes it succeed. You have to embrace your absurdity. Uh You can be absurd if you're consistent, have rules, and embrace the campiness of it all. Yeah. Just, it's, they've just think, thrown caution to the wind at all, and they've just went, fuck it, this is going to be a pure fiction. Even, you would even consider it sci-fi fantasy, with all the people coming back from a thousand years in the future. Um, his character is the man of a thousand deaths and in the first season he had this escort who after his matches when he would pin his opponent she would lick their faces and that was a kiss of death uh-huh like yeah. like just weird shit it was good stuff i'm trying to remember i couldn't hear what is the the new promoters well what's the promoter's dad's name i can't remember that one Oh gosh, I know that the first one was Dario. Let me really quickly look it up. It's just at the end he announced that the retaining champion Pentagon Dark. Was he not just Pentagon before? Well, he was Pentagon Junior originally. Um, But that goes back to, you know, they have an affiliation with, or they at least did for a long time, they had an affiliation with AAA down in Mexico and um, within AAA a lot of the masked luchadors are parts of like groups and so there are a bunch of pentagons Um, he was originally pentagon junior now he is pentagon dark right and he's the champion at the moment but what I didn't catch was who he would be facing for the title next week well it's actually going to be tomorrow night it will be on is that right yeah, he's going to face Matanza. Matanza is, um, first of all, Matanza's Jeff, uh, I'm pretty sure Matanza's Jeff Cobb. Yeah, Matanza's just Jeff Cobb under a mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's the um, kayfabe brother of the Dario Cueto, and so the other son of the father's name is Antonio, Antonio Cueto. Right. Um, so Matanza is the brother character, and he's like this big monster character. Um, within the universe of Lucha Underground, the I quite enjoyed at the start 
they basically announced a reformed trios champion. Three people. Oh, yes, yes, I love the way that they did that. Um, one of the one of the wrestlers who had been part of the trios champions is either injured or not participating in season four. I cannot remember which one. Um, so the way that they went about replacing him is Antonio told the remaining two, okay, you guys are going to be one and two in Aztec Warfare, and the man that comes out number three, whoever it is, or woman, because Lucha Underground is fully intergender. Uh They have no women's division, it's just fully intergender. Um, So the man or woman who comes out third is automatically your new partner. Right. And that played off of some continuity in season three where it had taken the champions a while to really kind of gel as a unit and so they were not pleased at the thought of having to bring in someone especially when that third person turned out to be Son of Havoc who was a character that they had been feuding with most of last season right yeah I thought the way that the pop happened for Son of Havoc coming out that that would be the case there was some sort of history there so I know I'm as I said earlier, I'm a newbie for Lucha Underground, so I'm just throwing random questions at you. Do you think they'll suffer without Prince Puma? Uh, Was um, he such a big factor? Hard to say. Um, Prince Puma um, was the first Lucha Underground champion. Then he spent some time as part of a trio's with Rey Mysterio and I cannot for the life of me remember who their third partner was um, but he did some programs there and then at the end in Ultima Lucha Trace he won the title in the main event but then lost it immediately to Pentagon because Pentagon had what was what is called the Gift of the Gods championship Uh and within lucha underground anyone who holds the gift of the gods title can cash that title in for a world title shot and that was um so to get the title shot pentagon um challenged pumas for his career oh yeah so puma was forced to leave Lucha Underground because Ricochet was going to WWE. But I'm not sure yet, just because he's the first huge um, member of that roster to leave. Uh And so it's it's hard to say how they'll replace him. Um, I think that probably Brian Cage will get a bigger push and um, Johnny Mundo, John Morrison whatever you want to call him. Um, (laughs) Johnny Mundo will also probably get back into the title picture. Um, And they can always run Phoenix because Pentagon's brother Phoenix is on the roster and the two of them Mm. have awesome in-ring chemistry. I uh, I saw there were exchanges with Phoenix and Johnny Mundo during the match. uh, Johnny Morrison, big fan of him. I love his parkour style. And he's got the strength to back it up as well. Like John Morrison's style really works with Lucha Libre. He mm-hmm. was able to become a pretty big star down in AAA because his style is just conducive to it. Um, uh, him and Phoenix are great. So the last question I've got is, obviously there are likes of John Morrison, Brian Cage, even Joey Ryan was there. 
Are there any of the masked wrestlers, people that I would know from like the indie scene or anything like that? Not really, because most of the masked wrestlers, um, those are their gimmicks outside of um, Lucha as well. Um, Pentagon and Phoenix are the two biggest luchadors. Um, Matanza is Jeff Cobb, so you might be familiar with Jeff Cobb. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from him, the only other mask luchador on the show that has like a different character outside of it is King Cuerno is a luchador better known as El Hijo de Fantasma. Um, but if you haven't heard of him, I wouldn't be shocked if you're not a big Lucha Libre fan. Right. Um, so probably Son of Havoc is probably their biggest masked person outside of the big names. Um, he's going to be all in. He's been confirmed as a booking for all oh, in. Right, right, okay. uh, but no, I, I can't think of anyone that you probably would have definitely heard of. That's fair enough. But I think I will go out my way for the next few weeks anyway to keep watching it. So it might become a case of all those masked wrestlers. I will be able to differentiate and know who everyone is. So I'm looking forward to the journey ahead. Well, and if you've got, I mean, if you've got free time and nothing better to do, the first two seasons are on Netflix. The first two seasons of Lucha mm-hmm. Underground are on Netflix. Um, it's a great way to get yourself acquainted with that universe and a lot of the characters that they use um, and the way that they tell stories. Mm-hmm. I so think it might same. just be, I don't think it's on the UK Netflix because I have looked for it and it's not here. Oh, no, I hate to hear that. But there are nefarious means which things can be watched. So, yes, we thumbs up from Kyle there. <laughs> right, so... I was struggling because with the quiz this week. Oh, first of all, let me splice in the quiz music now. It's fucking quiz time with Ricky and Clive and friends. A fucking WWE quiz. And with there being money in the bank recently, we've had UK quizzes a lot. I've struggled to think of a theme, so I went with this month in WWE history quiz Ooh, nice. so we're looking at June obviously so I've got 10 questions for you some of them are quite easy in fact I'm looking at them and we, the things we have discussed in this show you seem to know your history so we might fire through these we'll find out number one who won their second consecutive King of the Ring tournament in June 1993, becoming still to this day the only two time King of the Ring? Two time King of the Ring. This is a call. But I feel like I'm wrong. You can say that if you want. I'm sorry, what? You can say that one if you want. I'm going to say Bret Hart, but I feel like it's wrong. Well, according to Wikipedia, that is the correct answer. Ha-ha! You know, fun fact, I know this makes me a terrible wrestling fan. Fun fact, the only Bret Hart match I've ever seen in my life is Bret Hart versus Steve Austin. Really? I um, I became a fan when I was like eight or nine, which would have been 1998, 1999. 
Um, by which time he had already gone to WCW and WCW had already started to implode. Uh, I've, I'm actually reading his book at the moment. It was given to me as a birthday present and I've started reading it. So, like you, I have, I've seen more matches. I've just not seen anywhere near as many as I should. But I'm actually quite interested in seeing his stampede stuff from back in the day. Um, the Austin Bret Hart match is top notch. I've sadly seen the match that he had with Vince McMahon. <laughs> I think the match of his that I want to go out of my way to see that's been recommended to me by more people than I can count um, is him and the British Bulldog. But the... Uh, 1992 is excellent, as is, I think it was a December in your house in 96. Might have been that yeah. one, British Bulldog. recommended to watch the two of them compete, and that's one that I will go out of my way one of these weekends over the summer. Uh-huh. So we were in a quiz there, and we just went down a wee Bret Hart chat. <laughs> <laughs> like you do. Right, number two... King of the Ring took a hiatus in 2003 for a few years. What was the name of the pay-per-view that replaced it in June of 2003? I believe that would have been... Originally it was called Taboo Tuesday and then became Cyber Sunday? Taboo Tuesday was 2004. Ah! This was... Sorry, that was bad blood. Well done, yeah. One year prior... Number three, one year prior, which superstar made his now infamous WWE debut on SmackDown? A year prior to King of the Ring ending? Uh, yeah, so 2002, June 2002. That would have been Cena. It would have been, yes. The beginning of the Ruthless Aggression era. Yeah, part of Kurt Angle's open challenge. That's right. Oh, those were the days. I love Kurt back Angle. The church, back when he wore like actual tights. <laughs> oh, that's right. And the wee spiky front, the bangs, spiky bangs at the top. Yeah, and this was the early 2000s, so in the United States, frosted tips were still in. <laughs> he had those bleached tips of his hair. Uh-huh. Oh, John. John, John, John. Number four, in June 2011, which wrestler, whose family are legends of the business, was released from WWE and is still active today on the independents? Chavo. Again, correct. You're doing well. June 2015. Which current NXT member defeated Kurt Angle to become the TNA World Heavyweight Champion? Current NXT member defeated TNA World Champion. Oh. Oh, gosh. I think this one might be the first one to stump me. Would you like a clue? I would love a clue. He was in WWE before TNA. Gosh, because that narrows down that era okay. of TNA. Well, technically, he was in an incarnation of NXT before leaving. When you tell me what it is, I'm going to feel real dumb, but I cannot think of that one. This person is in the top 1% of this industry. Ah, oh, EC3. How did I forget Ethan Carter the 3rd? <laughs> He's still Ethan Carter the 3rd to me. I don't care. See I the don't. the reason that they've got for him having that name, uh why why are you called EC3? Because it's a formula for success. 
just totally disregarding the fact that he's Dixie Carter's nephew. Yeah. Well, and the reason I don't get it is because lately they've been willing to acknowledge TNA. Like, if you watched that Hardy's interview, or not interview, documentary that they aired after Money in the Bank, they the infamous, atrocious Jeff Hardy Sting match. Do they? The match in wrestling history. Oh, that's shocking. They showed it. They talked about the scenario. Like, Jeff straight up said... Um, I was too messed up to wrestle. Sting gave the interview talking about, I was so excited. Oh, I'm going to get to wrestle Jeff Hardy. And we couldn't do it. Bischoff told the story about going to look for him and they couldn't find him. So he had to finally go, or when he finally found him, they were helping him walk into Gorilla and holding him up. Like, if you did not take the time to watch the Hardys 24 special after Money in the Bank, ladies and gentlemen, do yourself a favor and do it. They fully acknowledge how fucked up Matt and Jeff got yeah. pulling punches I, I, I was intending to watch it anyway but if it's going to be that controversial then I will nudge it up my schedule definitely 2014 number 6 which faction was broken up the night after payback wouldn't that be the shield it would I thought that was a bit too easy but there we go number 7 how many matches did Kurt Angle have in, at the King of the Ring pay-per-view in 2001? Four. No, no, three. Three, because they started with only four King of the Rings. We had the two King of the Ring matches plus the match with Shane. Yes, the match Shane with Shane. best match ever. Oh, by a mile. That was one of the best weapon, like, hardcore matches I've seen to this day. I will never forget the sight of Kurt Angle belly to belly overhead suplexing Shane McMahon through the glass and and failing to do so repeatedly yes I will never forget it (laughs) see just thinking of it now I'm still just sort of laughing in bafflement of it all Uh, number 8 Authors of Pain made their NXT debut at which event in June 2016 Is that TakeOver Philly? No, this one kind of falls under the radar, this TakeOver. Oh, was that the TakeOver that they did that was in Orlando and it was just like another TakeOver? Yeah, it had a a suffix though. The end. Well done. Yeah. And everyone saw that and thought, oh no, is this the end of NXT? Well, I I originally thought, because that was when takeovers were still really like just becoming a thing. I was like, wait a minute, do they mean this is the last takeover? Because these have been really good. Please don't. <laughs> exactly. Number nine, who did Chris Jericho defeat to become the Intercontinental Champion at Extreme Rules 2009? 2009. Would that have been Rey Mysterio? It was, yes. That was after Rey did the angle with Cody Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Last question. At Vengeance 2005, Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle had a rematch from WrestleMania of the same year. Name the other WrestleMania rematch that took place that night. 2005. Did they run back Cena versus Batista that year? Wrong year. Oh, wrong year. 
Can I get one hit for that one? Yes, it, it was a Hell in a Cell match. Hell in a Cell match. Okay, that does narrow it down. Is that Edge versus The Undertaker? No. Um, I'll give you another clue. No, no, go ahead. I was only 15 and I don't remember it. It's all right. I'll give you one more clue. This One of the wrestlers is now a Hollywood superstar. Oh, so The Rock's a point of that No, another one. Who else is in Hollywood now other than The Rock and Cena? Um, he was in the... Batista? Yes, uh-huh. Okay, 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 okay. So 2005, Batista and Triple H? Well done, that's it. There we go. There we go. So that was one definitely wrong with EC3 and... What was I needed that? on a few of those. I'll give myself six out of ten and I'll be happy with it. How about six and a half? There we go. Six and a half. Hooray for me. <laughs> that was good. You still did well. And you'll be kicking yourself over the EC3 stuff for a while as well. I'm so mad. I, that was when I was still actively watching TNA as well. I can just picture Caleb screaming at his phone when this quiz question comes up. Oh, I can picture Caleb screaming at me when that question comes up. <laughs> couldn't remember Ethan Carter pal sorry man I apologize Caleb I'm still not watching Impact regularly for another at least two months if they can give you four months of good wrestling I'll give them a shot but they have hurt my feelings too many times Mm -hmm. it might be annoyed with me because I have let Lucha Underground skip the queue in terms of watching that before Impact but it's half half the duration I, I won't be mad at you on that because Impact is easier to access than Lucha Underground. Because even in the United States, the network that Lucha Underground is on, El Rey is not a common network. It's one that you would have to request in your TV package oh, or like go out of your way to find. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Pop TV, I get access to Impact. I have Pop TV through Hulu. Right. So, like, Impact is easier to get to. The reason I'm not watching Impact isn't because of that. The reason I'm wa- not watching Impact right now is because I am the I am a person who has given Impact chance after chance after chance after chance after chance, and they're a company that will do well for like two and a half months, and then they fall back into the same bad decisions and bad tropes, and they disappoint you. Yeah. Like repeatedly it's a cycle so I feel as if I'm waiting for the next one to happen exactly like I'm waiting for the shoe to drop it looks like they're bringing in a lot of really good talents and they're doing a lot of good storytelling and Don Callis is doing a lot of I know he's involved a lot in a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and uh-huh. he's really helped change the perception of them as a company and you see that with the talent exchange with Lucha Underground um, they're they're doing more to make themselves part of the indie wrestling community, uh-huh. but at the same time, they're just it's a brand that is so tainted. I know it's had a checkered past, and and it's really crazy when you think about it though, because if you look at WWE right now and you look at a lot of the high end of their card, AJ Styles is a TNA product. I, I don't mm. care. I know you with IWGP champion and all that. But I still remember 2005 uh-huh. AJ 
versus Christopher Daniels versus also in the WWE Samoa Joe. Yep. Um, Bobby Roode is the longest reigning individual reign TNA champion of all time. Um, like Lashley TNA McIntyre was in TNA for years. Um, the Hardys, the Hardys, both the Hardys are both former world champions within TNA. Mm -hmm. Drake Maverick down in two Oh five rockstar spud. Uh, yeah. Like, the TNA roots a lot of talents in WWE right now went through TNA at one point or another. CM Punk was in TNA before he was in WWE. TJP was as well, wasn't he? He was. He was under the mask as um, originally they had a character called Suicide. Suicide, that's what it was. And um, TJP was under the mask as Suicide. Um, so, like, they've had a lot of great talents mm -hmm. come through those doors and worked for that company, but they just perpetually find ways to depress you and disappoint you. Yeah. But if they do continue to grow and remain successful, at least Caleb can say, I was fucking telling you from the start. <laughs> all they had to do was become a Canadian company, and all of a sudden, success. <laughs> See, that's what happens. You know, you move to Canada. The people there are so nice. How do you yeah. fail? All the all the best wrestlers are from there. Yeah, a lot of their best wrestlers are from there. Taya Valkyrie is Canadian. Kyle yeah. O'Reilly is Canadian. Fun fact. I didn't know that one. Yeah, he was born in British Columbia. Uh -huh. And a few, a lot of the great actors as well, actors and actresses are Canadian. Yeah, yeah. My... <sighs> Ryan Gosling, who I love in ways that I won't get into on this podcast, um, is Canadian. Right. Favorite Canadian. I've only seen one Ryan Gosling film. Um, oh, I mean, well, I mean, I, I like him for reasons different than why you would like Ryan Gosling. Um, <laughs> right, okay. But, um, yeah, he's Canadian. Ryan Reynolds is Canadian. Mm -hmm. Canada produces a lot of good stuff. What can we say? I'm a big hockey fan, so like I fully support Canada. So, shout out to Canada in general. Exactly. <laughs> so, do you have anything you want to shout out before we close? Um. Well, I, I will again shout out Ricky for letting me fill in for him. Um, I'm also going to take this opportunity to, again, shout out our buddy Rance. I know Rance had a bit of a rough week. Um, in wrestling and I just want to reiterate that I love you brother and I support you and we will get through all of this craziness as a family because that is what we all are yes and that family is on the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group that was a nice segue there thank you Kyle <laughs> um, as well as that we've got other guys on the Social Suplex Podcast Network we've got ourselves Grown Men Watch This Shit, the independent wrestling podcast. I believe they have one dropping there two, every two weeks, so there should be due one soon. Um, keeping it strong style with the New Japan coverage. They just keep getting bigger and bigger, man. Like, they are blowing up. See, they've kind of got a good market there as well, because maybe because I've not searched, but there aren't that many New Japan podcasts out there, so... There aren't. Josh Josh just mentioned it again um, on this past week's show when they were doing the preview. Um, if you haven't listened to Keeping It Strong Style this week, 
go out there and find it. They did a preview of the G1 Climax, and he mentioned again this week that there aren't a whole uh, NJPW pods out there. Get on that bandwagon. Um, with Rans and Wayne, you've got Rans and Carl doing the Outsider's Edge. Always a different viewpoint, and it's interesting conversation to listen to. And One Nation Live and One Nation Radio with Rich Latter. He's branching out and doing videos as well of like weekly NXT reviews and stuff like that, so he's getting himself over well and good. Rich is a hustler, man. He Rich is. He's on the Doc Says this week as well, so check out their Money in the Bank review on the Lords of Pain radio. Um, socialsuplex.com has the ability to subscribe to those podcasts through an email service. You also get columns for NXT reviews, 205 reviews by myself, and just general opinion pieces. Please go to the podcast app that you use and rate the show seven stars. That would be nice of you, thank you. <laughs> did you see what I did there? <laughs> See what you did there, use that Meltzer rating. Yeah. So I think that concludes it. I think we touched on absolutely everything that's going on in wrestling right now in a whirlwind I, fashion. I think so. We hit a little bit of all of them at this point. Mm-hmm. So thanks for coming on, Kyle. We'll get you on again soon. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I am always happy to be on the pod. Um, I hope that y'all have a great rest of your week and, uh, I'll be back to listen, definitely. Good stuff. Um, Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of your week, as Kyle says, and I'm just stealing it. Good night and goodbye. Bang. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Podcast. We'll see you next time.